In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My dear sisters and brothers in Christ, what qualities did you or are you looking for in a spouse? I would love to go around the chapel this morning and to get all of your characteristics and all of the traits that you were looking for, to see if you found them, to see if you're still looking, but we're not going to do that this morning as much as that would fascinate me. But here's something I do know. We could go around the chapel this morning about 20 times, maybe 100, and I could ask everyone to give a different word, a different trait, a different quality, and you can't double up on one you've heard, and I guarantee you there are two words that would never come up. No one is looking for a potential spouse who will be an adulterer or unfaithful. You laugh because it's even foolish to mention them. We're actually looking for the exact opposite of those things. And yet, those are the two words that the Lord uses to describe a woman by the name of Gomer. A woman whom the Lord commanded the prophet Hosea to marry, the the prophet we heard in our first scripture reading. You would ask, why would the Lord ask his prophet to marry a woman? The Lord said, go and marry this adulterous and unfaithful woman. It wasn't because God wanted to punish Hosea. No, his marriage to Gomer was to serve as a real-life picture of what it was like for the Lord to be married to the nation of Israel. What did it look like for the Lord to be married to His people Israel? The Lord said to to live out that reality, Hosea, you are going to go and marry this adulterous and unfaithful woman and take her as your wife. You see, the Lord loved his people. He chose them to be his very own. He led them out of slavery in Egypt. He delivered enemy after enemy into their hands. So many of them without so much as even lifting a sword He gave to them the land flowing with milk and honey. He turned them into the greatest nation in the world. He kept every promise that he ever made them because the Lord so deeply loved his people. And yet, Israel was an adulterous and an unfaithful people. They worshipped false gods. They they brought idols right into the Lord's temple. They disregarded God's word. They disobeyed His commands. And the worst part of it all is they did all of those things because they knew how deeply the Lord loved them. Because they knew that at the end of the day, God always keeps His promises and there's nothing we can do that would ever make Him turn His back on us. 
And that's actually the conversation that we heard there in Hosea chapter 6. It's the people through the prophet Hosea saying to one another, you know what? God is upset with us for now. But just give him a couple days. You know, he gets like this from time to time. In the meantime, we'll offer him some sacrifices. We'll say to him some prayers. And it'll all blow over before you know it. And as promised, just like Israel was with God, Gomer was eventually unfaithful with Hosea. But here is what the Lord told the prophet Hosea to do and say to his adulterous and unfaithful wife. The Lord said, Hosea, go, show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. You know, you'd think that eventually God would learn. You've all had a friend like that, right? Maybe that friend was you. You were with the wrong person, the person that would never be faithful to you, but you just couldn't quit them. You roll your eyes every time your friend brought up their, their, their relationship troubles and you just wanted to say, just get out of it already. What do you expect him to do? He's shown his true colors. He's never going to change. If only someone could talk that kind of sense into the Lord. Lord, find yourself a new bride. Get yourself some new people for your sake. They're not going to change. You think maybe he would eventually pick some better people. Or maybe this is just the way God in the Old Testament operated. He kind of backed himself into a corner with Israel, and so he kind of just had to see that relationship out. But maybe now with the emergence of Jesus and this new kingdom that he's ushering, things would be different. Maybe Jesus would come and actually have some standards for once. No better opportunity than when it came to Jesus picking his own disciples. And who does Jesus pick? Well, a man named Matthew. And and what did Matthew do as a profession? He was a tax collector. Now, it's probably safe to say that none of us here this morning enjoys paying taxes. You don't really need to know the background of what it meant to be a Jewish tax collector back in the days of Jesus You already don't like tax collectors. But imagine this. Imagine that your taxes were collected by fellow American citizens, maybe even your friends and neighbors, but they were collecting your taxes in order to be paid to a foreign government that existed seemingly with the sole purpose of oppressing you. And then imagine 
that those fellow American citizens who were collecting your taxes, they came to your front door every couple of months and said, here is what you owe this foreign government that I come on behalf of. And you don't have a clue whether or not that number is accurate. That's still kind of true, I guess. But you don't have a clue whether or not that number is accurate. You have nothing to base it on. All you know is that the tax collector standing in front of you has been given the green light to exact more money from you than you actually owe and that he gets to keep the difference. And that when he shows up at your front door, he's dressed a lot more lavishly than you ever will be. The house that he has, the food that he eats, all of it is better than yours. And you start to wonder to yourself, I'm not so sure that you're just collecting the money I owe. You know it, and he knows it, and there's not a single thing you can do about it. Because to say no, or to challenge the tax collector, is to find yourself in prison or worse. Tax collectors were the most hated Jews by other Jews. Tax collectors were liars, they were thieves, and they abused their very own people just for a good life, just to get wealthy. You did not associate with tax collectors. You were not friends with them. You would not even talk to them unless it happened to be that dark day that they stood on your front doorstep. They were the absolute scum of Jewish society and their reputations were well-deserved. They were sinners, and they were the exact kind of people you would assume God would want nothing to do with either. At least that's what the Pharisees thought. The Pharisees were the exact opposite of the tax collectors, at least in their minds. They were the religious elite of the day. They had dedicated their whole lives to, to God, to living for God and loving God and serving God, at least on the surface, as much as everybody else could see. They fasted for God throughout the week. They tithed. They not only strove to keep God's commandments, they also peppered in a couple of their own just to show people that they were willing to go the extra mile for God. They were not sinners at least not like the tax collectors. They were the kind of people you would expect God to want to fellowship with. They were the kind of people that you would have thought if Jesus is going to collect for himself a religious elite group of people, well, that's where you start. So you can imagine the shock, can't you? when Jesus not only chose to call Matthew and not the Pharisees, but that then Jesus took Matthew and went to Matthew's own home and spent the rest of the day feasting with other tax collectors and sinners. We don't think of it this way, but is there a more 
intimate thing that you can do with someone else who's not your spouse than to eat with someone? Think about the people that you eat with on a regular basis. Think about the people you would never eat with. You see, eating with someone says something about your relationship. It says something about your closeness and your willingness to have proximity and, and, and to, to enjoy fellowship with people. Think about what it means to break bread with someone. And none of this was lost on the Pharisees. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked Jesus' disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call the righteous I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, if you would have asked everyone at Matthew's dinner party to divide the party into righteous people and sinners, I don't think anyone would have disagreed. I think the tax collectors probably even would have agreed with the Pharisees when they said, we are the righteous people, you are the sinners. The tax collectors probably would have said something like, you're right, can I give you more caviar? They would have agreed on who the righteous were and who the sinners were. The question was, who is it that Jesus has come to be with? Who is it that this Jesus has come to fellowship with? Who is it that Jesus has come to save? And that is a question that you and I struggle with too, don't we? We look out into the world and we have very little trouble distinguishing between the righteous and the sinners. We know the people we would eat with and we know the people that we want nothing to do with. Even the people here in this little family that we call Prince of Peace, We've all got an image in our mind of what would an ideal member at Prince of Peace look like. We know the kind of people who would fit in here and the people who would just never make it. And so the caution that Jesus gives is one that we need to hear. If you are in the practice of dividing the world into righteous versus sinners, and we all are, be careful. If all you see when you look out into the world is a bunch of sinners, it can be very easily then to see yourself as being righteous and healthy. If you would have nothing to do with all of those wretched sinners out there and are convinced that Jesus would agree with you, then by default, that would make you the righteous one. And then you need to know that Jesus did not come to call the righteous. 
but sinners. For it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So are you healthy these days? Or are you sick? Are you righteous? Or are you a sinner? And that's actually a pretty easy answer or question to answer in our mind and in our hearts, isn't it? Because they convict us of our guilt every single day. But that is not as easy of a question to answer when it comes to confessing it out loud. Because you know all those traits that we would have listed earlier if we went around the chapel? Qualities that you look for in a spouse? You also know that whatever qualities you demand of another, those are qualities that you have to have yourself to a degree in order for someone else to choose you. If someone was ever going to claim you as their spouse, well, you better ask them what their list is. And if that's the way that we operate, and it is, then we assume that that is the way that God must operate too. If God was ever going to love me, if Jesus would ever call me to follow him, if God would ever eat with me, then I'm going to be the one who has to convince him. I'm the one who's going to have to meet this certain set of qualities and characteristics. And how do you convince God? How do you convince God that you have those? How do you convince God to love you? How would you convince Jesus to call you, to eat with you? Well, the key, we think, is found in one word. Sacrifice. We don't offer up animals anymore, but there must be something I can give to God or do for God that will make him happy. I can sacrifice some of my money. I can sacrifice some of my time. I can sacrifice even my Sunday morning every now and then. There's a lot of things that I really don't have a problem giving to God, sacrificing for Him. I can even sacrifice some wall space on my house and put up a cross or a Bible verse. Sacrifice as much as you can for God and then hope that it's enough. And if you think that is how you get God on your side then you need to go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, says the Lord. You want to know what makes God happy? You want to know what God truly loves? He loves to have mercy. When the Lord says, I desire mercy, that is, he desires to show mercy, to give you mercy. And to whom can you give mercy? Well, the quick answer is really everyone, but that's not necessarily the case. Imagine if 
I was walking down the sidewalk and I saw a man sitting up against a building holding out a cup. And I reached down and I tossed some money into the cup and I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, here you go, you look like you could use it. That man, I'm assuming, would probably be very grateful because he knows his need. That's why he's holding out the cup. But if I were walking out of Starbucks and I happened to pass by a table with two people where they were talking and their, their cups just happened to be empty, and I leaned over and I tossed $5 into the empty, empty coffee cup and I put my hand on a man's shoulder and I said, you know what, it looks like you're kind of down and out of your luck. I hope this helps. I don't know that he would receive it the same way. In fact, I think he probably would be very offended. Who do you think you are? Do you think you're better than me? Do I, do I really look that much worse off than you? You see, the difference is you can only give mercy to people who recognize their need for it. When Jesus speaks here of the healthy and the righteous, you might as well put quotations around them. Jesus doesn't mean that the Pharisees are actually the healthy people. They're actually the righteous. That's why I'm not associating with you as much, because you guys are good to go. No, Jesus says, you think you're righteous. You think you're healthy. And so if I were to offer you mercy, it would only offend you all the more. He's talking about people who have given themselves a self-diagnosis a clean bill of health. People who are self-righteousness, self-righteous. And when you decide that you are perfectly healthy on your own, what do you need a doctor for? When you are the one who have declared yourself to be righteous because of all the sacrifices that you've made for God, well then you have no need for a Savior. You have no need for mercy. And when God offers it to you, it will only offend you. That is why we are constantly coming here to pray the prayer, Lord, have mercy. Because we need it. Because we're sick. Because we are sinners. And though admitting something like that could potentially drive a future spouse away, Hi, nice to meet you. I'm extremely sick. I got a lot of problems and I'm a horrible, wretched person. Not the kind of thing you want to admit on a first date, but it is the kind of thing that when you admit it to the Lord, you do so in confidence knowing that it will never drive Him away. Jesus says, I have come for sinners like you. I have come to give you mercy I desire, I love, I long to give undeserving sinners mercy. Just look at Matthew. Look at the Apostle Paul. Look at you. Look at me. Lord, have mercy. And we never have to wonder what his answer is. His desire, His love, His answer is always, I have had mercy on you and I always will. 
The Lord Jesus Christ did not call you to follow him because you had impressed him with all of your sacrifices in your life. He called you to follow him because he so greatly loves to show you mercy. He loves to eat with you, to break bread with you that is his body, to give you a foretaste of the heavenly banquet that is to come where you will feast with God for all of eternity. Brothers and sisters, here is the great irony of the Christian faith. By admitting you are sick, you are healthy. By admitting and confessing your sin, you are righteous. Not because you say so. Not because of your great and many sacrifices. You are healthy and righteous because Jesus says so. Because his sacrifice for you has made it so. Lord, have mercy on us. Today and always. Amen.